The beauty of Akita is seen in the simplicity of its message. The kids who are invited to come there are invited to leave all their pain, sorrow, anger, fear, and all the rest behind. Leave it back in the valley and come experience the unconditional, the unconditional love of God for all of humanity. I love it when the message is that simple, when it's that clear. That doesn't mean the living out of it is that simple or clear or, or easy, really. How we live in love with one another is something we struggle with throughout our lives, from birth to death. Never is it easy. Always is it mandatory. In this sermon series, The Art of Soul Searching, we've been asking our souls, looking, at our, looking deep within, at those areas in our life where we need help and support, where we need encouragement, or perhaps occasionally a challenge. Today's word, like the message of Camp Akita, is simple and clear, but not necessarily easy to live. You just said the words, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. As we would say in the preacher business, that's spot on target. That is exactly how we are to live our lives. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue that. You know, the Bible is a complex collection of writings written over, over hundreds of years, and yet it is full of basic words like this one. I outlined this sermon uh, well over two months ago. On Tuesday afternoon, I had one of those days on Tuesday where I started with a 7 o'clock meeting, and I was in meetings all the way through 3 p.m. Finally, after 3 o'clock, I got into my office, closed my door, opened up Psalm 34, and was able to read it again to begin the work on this sermon. I was caught by how directly it seemed to be speaking, not just to me, but to, to our world, to our land. Depart from evil and do good. This is such a basic truth. For example, consider what last week might have been like for the leader of our nation if he had heeded these words, spoke the truth, clear and simple, without hesitancy. If he'd spoken against the, the hatred that was spewed in, in Charlottesville. I, I, there's, a, there's a pastor here in, in, in Columbus that I want to quote this morning. His name is, is Rich Nathan. Bill Milkey is a member of our church. Bill might be here this morning. I saw him somewhere, I think. He was a member of my search committee. He sent this article to me yesterday, and I, I read through it twice. Read it again this morning and thought, I want you to hear Pastor Nathan's words. He's pastor of the Vineyard Church here in Columbus, an evangelical congregation. Pastor Rich suggested that President Trump should have, and I'm going to quote his words, said, I condemn every expression of white supremacy, so-called white nationalism, racism, and anti-Semitism, and find the statements made by the protesters in Charlottesville utterly repugnant. I am revolted by their philosophy, and I utterly reject their support of me." End quote. I can guarantee you that the majority of, Amer of American citizens would have applauded and said, thank you, sir, for those words, would have agreed. 99% of, of Christians in America would have said, thank you, Jesus, yes. And we could move forward pursuing good and peace. Sometimes it really is that simple. What our ancient poet is telling us is that faith and ethics are bound together. He's reminding us that the way we live is a reflection of the faith that we proclaim. You might remember the letter of James. James wrote to the church oh, a few decades after the, after the resurrection. He said, faith without works is dead. 
he, he more or less went on to say that what happens if you come up to somebody and they're in, in, in terrible need of some help, some food, a cup of cold water, and you simply pat them on the back and say, well, be well, peace to you, and you go on your way. What kind of faith is that, James says? Jesus says something similar. Well, what would it gain? What does it profit a woman or a man to, to get the whole world, to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? To have everything you've ever desired, all the success you've ever, ever needed. What difference does it make if you failed to depart from evil, to do good, to pursue peace? There was a Simpsons cartoon several years ago when Homer was desperate for a donut. And in the cartoon he said, I'm going to sell my soul for a donut. And suddenly a donut appeared. He ate all of it until there was just one bite left and he realized what he was about to do. And so he wrapped it up in some cellophane, put it in the, in the freezer, put a sign in front of it that said, do not eat, soul donut. <laughs> I wonder how many times. I wonder how many times we let ourselves get caught up in the same sort of silliness. And I don't mean a donut. Change the donut to a gigantic bank account or success or achievement or whatever it is you think you need more than anything else and ask yourself, what difference does it make if I get fill in the blank and yet lose my soul, forget my way, become unsure of what it means to work for good and, and for peace. Do you remember the, car, uh, the, the commercial several years ago for a Kia car. It was a new model that Kia had just come out with. You really can't tell that it's a car commercial though when it began, because what it is is these giant hamstring, uh, hamster wheels, you know the ones I'm talking about, that just spin around and around and around and around, and the, the hamster runs in them real fast and it gets nowhere. Well, these hamster wheels are everywhere as the camera pans around a neighborhood. They're in every street, but the, the wheels are going nowhere. They get into the downtown area, and here's all these wheels spinning, but the hamster's going nowhere. They're out on the freeway, same thing. Giant hamster wheels. All of a sudden, you hear this music start up, and it's got a great beat, and I'll stop dancing right there. It's, it's, got, a, it's got a great beat, trust me. And, and you, you see this car, and it's bright red, and it's kind of got a funky shape, and it kind of looks cool, and kind of looks different, and it's driving in and out around all these hamster wheels, and pretty soon they pull up to a stoplight, and they put down the windows, and there's three hamsters in the car. I'm dancing again, sorry. There's three hamsters in there, and they're just dancing away, and they're having a good time, and they smile at the other hamsters. Do you remember what the name of that car was? The Kia Soul. I thought it was such a great commercial and a great theological point, I almost bought one. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's a beautiful tale that when we finally find what it is we, we want in this life, it has nothing to do really with the car or all that stuff. It's about the pursuit of good, the desire for peace. John Ortberg, who's a great preacher, says, the desperate need of the soul is not for intelligent nor talent nor yet excitement, just depth. Just depth. It's a problem, though. Richard Foster wrote way back in the 70s, superficiality is the curse of our age. Forty years later, it's still true. Our souls begin to fade away when we get caught up in the trivial and the things that, that do not make for a good life. Now, now let's be clear. Let's be clear. Now, we've, we've moved away a little bit from talking about evil, and instead now we're reviewing our, our priorities in life. Our souls shrink when we fail to pay attention to pursue what the psalmist instructs. And what is it that makes for peace? It's that simple word from Akita. Love God, 
Love your neighbors yourself. It's that obvious, it's that simple, it's that true, and it's that, and it's that difficult. Anything, though, anything that gets in the way of the love of neighbor and the love of God, your career, your success, your achievements, your bank account, your house, whatever it is, anything that gets in the way will cause your soul to shrivel. A couple of years ago, uh, we looked around the church I was serving at the time and said we're, we're concerned that there, there seem to be some adult men who are kind of falling through the cracks, who aren't showing up in worship the way they used to, and, and what can we do and how can we reach out to them? And so we came up with this idea uh, that called Faith Pub. We, we advertised to all the men in the church, any who would like to attend, we're going to have a gathering at a bar on a Thursday night, and we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to talk about our faith, and we might have a beer or, 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 or something to eat, whatever it might be. Well, about 35 or 40 guys started showing up. Although I got to tell you this real quick. There was a man in the, who, before the group started, his name was Bill. He came up to me and he said, uh, tell me, Glenn, what, what's this faith pub thing all about? I said, well, Bill, we're, we're going to read the Bible and, and we're going to have a beer. And he was just quiet. And I, I said, Bill, what do you think about that? And he goes, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I said, well, do you, do you like the Bible and, and do you like beer? He went, I like beer. Bill was a faithful attender. In fact, he still goes. He still goes every Thursday night with a bunch of his buddies to talk about faith and such. Well, what we did that first session was I invited my friend, who's a preacher down the street from where we lived, to come and talk to us about a struggle he'd faced in his own life. Just a bunch of guys out on a patio on a Thursday night. I said, come, come and talk about a struggle you faced. Don't come with the solution. Don't come with the sermon. Just come and share from your heart. He came and he talked about the, the, the day that his daughter and son-in-law came home to tell him that they were having a baby. My friend said, oh, we were so excited. We talked about possible names. Is it going to be a boy or a girl? What do you want? Do you, which one do you want? And, and we're, oh, this is great. And how, what are you going to do with the nursery? And where are you going to put that in your house? And, you know, those kind of grandparent conversations. After about an hour or so, his daughter looked right at him and said, Daddy, I want you to know something. I hope you're a better grandfather than you were a father. And she named the late nights, the long meetings, the busyness of the church, and all the times he was away from home when she was growing up. My friend told this to us with tears in his eyes. What, what is it? What is it you need? What is it you want in life? What are you holding on to so tightly that's actually blocking you from the love of your family, the love of your neighbors, the love of God even? Now, unless you think I'm pointing my fingers at anyone else, let me, let me tell you a, a, a brief story. When our son Nate was about seven, we were living in Atlanta, not too far from the home where we lived, and we had a cute, sweet little house. We never thought for sure we'd, we'd live in a house like we did in Atlanta. We, I, I'm from California where a, a storage shack in your backyard goes for a million dollars if it's got a view, you know? So we loved our house there, but there were these new houses coming in just a couple of blocks away from us, just over the hill where there was a creek and a beautiful little setting. And these houses, I think they called them back then McMansions, just these giant places. Well, I was on a walk with Nate one day, and we walked up onto the hill, and I looked out over these beautiful homes. I, I got down on a knee. I put my arm around, around Nate. I think he was seven at the time. I said, buddy, someday we're going to get a house like that. I mean, I really wanted one. And we, our house was fine, but boy, there was some part of me that was really wanting to have a house just like that. Nate didn't say anything. I could feel his shoulders shaking. And I looked at him, and he was crying. I said, what's wrong, buddy? He said, Daddy, I, I love our house. 
He said, I love, I love mommy, I love you. I, I even love my brother. <laughs> Daddy, I love our house, why would we move? Ah, the son was teaching the dad. A place to call home, a place where you're welcomed and loved and accepted unconditionally is more valuable than any amount of square footage or the, outdoor, uh, the address out front. Now, now hear, me, hear me clearly again. There's nothing wrong with a big house, a big bank account, or success, or achievement, or any of that. None, none of those things are, are, are a problem in and of themselves, no. The question we're facing this morning is the ethical one. What good is any of that if you've lost your soul, if you've lost your way? I know it's not always easy. Sometimes fear blocks us from seeing a clear path. The psalm today deals with this. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and God delivered me from all of my fears. Now we don't know why he was afraid or why. All we know is that his fear was keeping him from the path, from the soul developing path of, of love. Fear bubbles up in all kinds of places. I was at a, at a church, an after church luncheon not too long ago and I was having a conversation with some folks over a cup of coffee and a woman came over to me and she said, how is it uh, that you every week find the time that you need to, to stay fresh in the, in the pulpit, to be relevant with your words? What, what is it that drives you? I said, without thinking, fear. Are you kidding? It's, it's the tyranny of Sunday. Sunday comes every week. It's that fear that gets me up late at night and has me reviewing all that. And, and she had this, just, this kind of sad look on her face. Her voice dropped. She said, I, I'm so disappointed in you. I've heard you in the pulpit say that, that the call of the Christian faith is to leave fear behind. And yet you're telling me the primary motivator for you in that same pulpit is fear? I really didn't want to hear any more from her. but she got my attention. Uh, so I decided to try something new. I'd sit down on Tuesday and in that work that I begin, when I look at the text, I'm gonna let my heart lead the way. I'll, I'll still bring my brain. In a church like First Community, we don't check our brains at the door, thank you very much. But I said to myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start preaching from the heart. I told this to Julie, my wife. She said, well, I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you have plenty of experience now to know that I'm still going to love you after a bad sermon. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In verse 11, it says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It seems paradoxical to what we just learned, but the word for fear here really literally means honor. This poet wants, us to, wants to teach us to honor God, to put the ways of God at work in our very souls. And how, we, how do we do that? Listen to the full answer. You already heard it a moment ago. Hear it again. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Depart from evil and do good. Do you hear the message? This is the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is not something we find by looking for it. In fact, looking directly for happiness oftentimes means that we will miss it completely. The, the pathway to happiness is not found in feeling good or getting what you want. Happiness comes when one learns to pay attention to the things that matter the most. The psalmist knows this. In Psalm 42, the poet proclaims, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. And he concludes deep calls to deep. 
Sometimes, though, we prefer the shallow end, don't we? It feels a little safer to, to just splash around in the shallows, to not really go into the depths. But the problem is with life, inevitably, inevitably something will happen and you'll find yourself thrown by life into the deep end. How, when, oh, I don't know for sure. A birth, a death, a tragedy, a failure, and the next thing you know, you're drowning, drowning, drowning. But if you've, if you've experienced the depths, if you've practiced before going into the deep, where deep calls to deep, you'll find the, 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 the courage you need to ride the wave to life. My, my friend Bob is a retired professor from Georgia Tech. He was born in Australia. When he was in his, in his early teens, he was a highly ranked uh, junior tennis player in that, in that country. Bob dreamed someday of winning the Australian uh, Tennis Open, of playing in Wimbledon even someday. And then he contracted polio, and he lost the use of his legs completely. He lay in a bed in a hospital for, for many weeks, went on into months, frankly. He felt very sorry for himself. He can tell you his story, whole story. He, he, he thought the worst thoughts that you can imagine. And then one, then one moment, he woke up. And he said, I worked my body as hard as I could to be the best athlete I could. Now I need to do the same thing with my mind. He earned a PhD in astrophysics or something like that. It's way over my head, I can tell you that much. In telling me his story, when I met him in Atlanta, he said, I was one of the persons who worked on the Apollo moonshot. It was my figures, my, my calculations that brought the capsule safely back to Earth without it burning up. He kind of he smiled. He said, I thought my legs would take me to Wimbledon, but my mind, it took me to the stars. He found happiness when he was willing to embrace the life he'd been given. He sought peace, and he found it when he was determined to do good. Let me close with this. Psychologist David Myers says that happiness is found in the renewal of disciplined lifestyles, committed relationships, and the giving and receiving of acceptance. Did you notice neither he nor the psalmist this morning said anything about success or achievements or trophies or bank accounts or house sizes or anything else? Not a single word about your square footage. Not a single word. Our joy comes, as the Hebrew poet wrote, when we depart from evil, when we seek good and pursue peace. It's that simple. It's that clear. Let us pray, please. Good and gracious God, give us the courage we need to seek your love. Give us the wisdom that will open our minds so that we will be ready and willing to see your greatness and goodness wherever we go in this world. Bless us now as we go out to serve you in word and deed. Amen.